Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. As Daryl said, we're continuing our series in Mark, and today we're going to talk a little bit about repetition. Uh, we, we repeat things when we think they are important, and even though I, I can, must admit, I have never seen a fallen power line, let alone a, a live fallen power line, and I have had no desire whatsoever to touch one if I did see one. Yet every year, Energex spend literally hundreds of thousands of dollars of TV advertising saying, don't touch fallen power lines. So if you're in any doubt, uh, that repeated message hopefully will convince you not to touch fallen power lines. There's a lot of repetition that goes on when it comes to parenting as well. Apparently, one of the diagnostic questions for parents, if you're considering starting a family, is to go to somewhere by yourself and to repeat 100 times, put your shoes on. And just say it for 100 times, and if at the end of saying, put your shoes on 100 times, you're not feeling as though you want to kill somebody, you're probably starting to get towards being a parent. Uh, we, we do have to repeat ourselves, repeat important things to our children over and over again. Apparently, the average time, number of times that you tell a child to go to bed is seven times per day. Uh, and you often end up repeating things that you never thought you would end up repeating. Apparently, one mum was surprised the number of times she said, please don't do that with your sandwich. Please don't do that with your sandwich. Over and over and over again. Talking about repetition because there's a bit of repetition in the Bible. Did you know there is only one miracle that occurs in all four Gospels? So we've got four accounts of the life of Jesus. As Daryl said, Mark was the first one. But there's a, a, a miracle that Mark told that then Matthew and Luke and John, the only one that they picked up and repeated in every one of their Gospels. And so it must be a fairly important one. And it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You you probably know the story, even if you don't have a church background. One of the stories, Jesus is out in the wilderness. There's a big crowd. It's getting late. They don't have anything to eat. He gets his disciples to bring out what they have, and it's just five small loaves and, and two fish. And then miraculously, Jesus is able to feed the whole crowd of 5,000 men, which probably meant 10,000 people, uh, with these just these little bits of bread and fish. Why is it so important? Well, obvious one is the one that we, we commonly think about is, well, it proves Jesus was God. Who else would be able to feed a 1,000 people with five small loaves of bread and probably like, probably like pita breads? Uh, and two small fish. It, it, it has to be Jesus. It has to be God. So, so therefore, Jesus is divine. Jesus is, is God. But then you're still left with the question, well, why is this particular miracle so important? Jesus did lots of miracles, where our understanding is, it says in the Gospels, but this one in particular seems to be really important. And it comes from the fact that miracles don't just demonstrate Jesus' divinity. That, that's part of their purpose. But I actually, I think, it's, I think it's less and less important than actually what the miracles tell us about Jesus and about the kingdom of God. 
I think they're a little bit like the pictures in a storybook. So when you read kids' stories, there's, there's the, the, the words, but then right alongside is usually a picture. And that's because we're, we're visual beings. And, and sometimes we learn things and we understand things more deeply from what we see than what we hear. And so the miracles were sort of like the illustrations in, in the Gospels. These are, these are the way that the, the Gospel writers were demonstrating through the actions of Jesus some very important things about Jesus and about the Kingdom of God. So what does this miracle tell us? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6 or go to your device. We're going to look at it a little bit closely, so if you do have access to a Bible, it'll be helpful for you to, to look at it. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because there were so many people coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat, so presumably he crossed the, the Lake of Galilee, to a solitary place. And the word is literally, that word translated solitary place could also be translated wilderness. Interesting. But many who, ran, many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him, of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I'm still struck by how when the gospel writers are looking to describe Jesus, the word they go to is not inspirational. Uh, the word they go to was not, uh, he was strong or courageous. The word they go to is Jesus was compassionate. And we have here another instance where Jesus looks at this, this crowd of people and his, his reaction is compassion. And, and the English word compassion is only a weak translation of the Greek word, which is a, a, a very, very powerful word. And, it, and, it, and part of the word is, is the guts, the innards. The, the, the and, and, and it's this idea that when Jesus looks at these, these people, he sees their lostness and, and he sees their desperation and he sees that they are vulnerable, like a, like a lost sheep, and he is moved deeply. He is moved on his insides by his compassion for these, these lost people. And so I think the first thing we can, can see in this, in this parable is is this emotional response, or this miracle, this emotional response of Jesus when he sees the lostness of people. Like, I mean, on the outside, they didn't look lost. And they could probably you know, walk home. But when Jesus looked at them, he saw into their hearts and he saw the lostness and the desperation and the helplessness and the vulnerability. And what was Jesus' response? He taught them. Again, if we look at the, the life of Jesus, certainly there's miracles and there, there's, there's other actions that Jesus does, but much of the Gospels is focused on the teaching of Jesus. And that is because the words of Jesus have the power to transform lives. 
And so when Jesus sees this, this lostness and this vulnerability and this pain and this, this shepherdlessness, he pulls him in and says, I've got something to tell you. I want to tell you about the kingdom of God. I want to tell you about the way that God is redeeming the world, the way he is restoring things, the way he is putting things right. And so when you go to, to work on Monday, when you go to your front lines on Monday, one of the things I, I like to think about doing is you, you look at people try and look at them through the eyes of Jesus. Perhaps this is the first time you've done it where you've looked at that person who seems very confident, who seems to have it all under control. If you look at them through the eyes of Jesus, they are like a lost sheep, wandering far. They are vulnerable. And have a think about the way that the gospel, your knowledge of the kingdom of God has transformed your life and transformed your thinking. And think about the purpose it gives you in life, the the comfort it gives you in life, the the ability that the grand narrative of the Bible gives you to make sense of this crazy world in which we live. And realise that if that person has not heard the gospel, they don't have that truth. They are lost and helpless and leaderless. The best they can do the best philosophy in life they have is self-actualization based on their self-identified identity. How fragile, how weak, how useless that is. All I've got is, is me and what I identify myself as and what I identify as my, my, my being, the essence. You can't talk about my creative being. It's just... It's just who I should be. And the best thing I can do in life is to be who I should be. It's nothing. And so people, even if they get to the point where they sort of feel as though they might have found some self-actualization, they're still lost. They're still purposeless. They've still got no real direction for their lives. This is the value of the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you go to your front line, the best thing you can do, the greatest gift you can give to that person is to give them the good news about the kingdom of God because it will provide them with a real meaning and a real hope for life. And the second part of the, of the, this is just the introduction to the miracle. So this is how important it is. Mark is spending all this time just framing the actual miracle event. But uh, in, in verse 35 he says, Uh, By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you, you give them something to eat. And in the Greek, it's, it's emphatic, emphatic, you, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it, give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. You can understand the disciples' reaction, isn't it? You, you feed them. What? Yeah, yeah, there's here like five little pita breads. It's one person's lunch and, and a couple of tiny bits of fish. But of course, what Jesus was doing 
was inviting his disciples into his redemptive plan for the universe. He could have done it himself. He didn't need their, he didn't need their sort of starter, they didn't, didn't need yeast to sort of get the process going. If Jesus had wanted to feed the 5,000 by himself, he just would have done it. He would have just gone behind a rock or pulled up a basket and started dishing, dishing out the bread. But he deliberately goes out of his way to say to his disciples, here is, I'm inviting you, I'm calling you to be part of my redemptive act, part of my, the coming of the kingdom of God. And, and their response was, well, we've got, we've got so little to give. And Jesus is more or less saying, that's enough. That's all I need. All I need is, is, the, is the little bit you've got and the willingness to use it in faith. And again, when you go into your front lines tomorrow, Jesus is calling you to join in his redemptive process of the world. He's, he's turning the world around, he's transforming the world, and he's, he's saying to you, I want you to be a part of it. And our instinct might be, well, I've got so little I can give. And Jesus says, that's enough. That's all I need. And, and, and your little bit of faith, that I can, can take what you offer and multiply it to bring life and hope to those who you are around. Now we come to the actual miracle. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. We'll come back to the green grass in a minute. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. First thing we would notice as we, we read this, and if you have any knowledge of the, of the Old Testament, and Jesus is a, um, a crowd, they, they were, they were Jew, good Jewish people, would have automatically picked up the similarities between this miracle that Jesus performed and the miracle that occurred in the wilderness as the people of Israel came out of Egypt. So there's a story in the Old Testament about God's people were slaves in Egypt and God sends a man called Moses to go to them and to bring them out of slavery. And in order to get them to a safe place, they had to cross the Red Sea, which was an ocean. And as they, after they had crossed this, red, this body of water, Moses put them into groups and then... God, through Moses, brought bread and quail, little birds, for them to eat. Because in the, in the wilderness, they would starve to death. Uh, God provided this bread and this food, this meat for them to survive. And, and, and the people, uh, certainly down the track, Mark and, and the other disciples went, hey, Jesus was sort of showing himself as being the fulfilment of Moses by repeating what Moses had done in the wilderness for the people of God. But there's another allusion in here that you might not be so familiar with. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4, 
and I've got it up there, but you can turn to it if you like, is a story about Elisha. So there's Elijah, who was one of the Old Testament prophets, and then there's Elisha, who was his, his protege. And uh, in chapter 4, it says, in verse 42, a man came from Baal Shalshah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. And so what Mark was doing, what Jesus was doing and what Mark records and, and putting it in this way is to showing the way that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills both the ministry of Moses and the law, what's called the minister of the law and, and Moses, because Moses recorded the law, and the prophets by referring to this story of Elisha feeding this crowd of people with a very small number of bribes of bread Jesus was fulfilling and identifying himself with these Old Testament characters. And there's a, a bit in the New Testament called the Transfiguration, where Jesus takes his disciples up onto a, onto a hill, and while they're looking on, Jesus is lit up and in bright lights, and he talks to two people. One of them is Moses, and the other is Elijah, who was Elisha's predecessor. But the message was the same. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. He is the consummation of God's plan of redemption for the world. The other thing that is, is interesting, I said that there's, this repetition is, is obviously important in Mark's thinking is, there is nearly the same story of the feeding of the 5,000, two chapters on, uh, in, in chapter 8. I'm still in 2 Kings. It talks about the Shunanite Lord. Anyway... If I move two chapters on, in Mark, we get the feeding of the 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. Same thing. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. They were a little bit better prepared now. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute it. Lo and behold, the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present and he had sent them, after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. What's going on, Mark? Papyrus is expensive. You've only got 15, 16 chapters in the whole book. You waste a second chapter repeating almost exactly the same story. Uh, there is a whole lot of speculation and numerology and things going on trying to identify the significance being in the numbers. 5,000, 4,000, oh, what's the meaning of that? 12 basketfuls, 7 basketfuls, oh, that must mean something. Keep it simple. 
The big important reason, the reason Mark tells the same story twice is the first one, the feeding of the 5,000, is in Israel. The second story, the feeding of the 4,000, is in Gentile land. And simply God's way, Mark's way of carrying the message of Jesus absolutely clearly, like an illustration in a book, God, Jesus is not only here to save the Jews, he's here to feed the Gentiles as well. And the number of basketfuls of food left over, 12, 7, what's the significance of that is, doesn't matter. The message is there was an abundance. There was so much that everybody stuffed their faces and ate as much as they would possibly like. And there was still more left over, just the way that Elisha had leftovers and the people in the Exodus that had left over manna as well. But when we read the story of the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000 as well, one of the other powerful things that comes through is the linkages to the Last Supper. First thing is the, the timing. And this is the bit about the green grass. Like, you read that story and you go, you know, and Jesus told them to sit down on the green grass. And you go, Mark, why did you bother to tell us that? You know, wasting words again, what's the significance? Well, the only time there was green grass in the Judean wilderness was during the springtime, when the rains come before the, before the heat of summer. And springtime was the time of the Passover festival. And the Passover festival was the annual time of year that people would come to Jerusalem and make a sacrifice for their sins in order to receive the forgiveness of God at the temple. And the Passover was the time of year when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. And they all gathered around and Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take this in remembrance that my body is broken for you. I, he doesn't say that here, but this is the message. I am the bread of life. Eat until you're satisfied. And the fact that there was so much bread pointed towards this Jewish expectation of the messianic feast. So again, in the Old Testament, there was this, this expectation that the Jews had that God would send his Messiah, his, his special anointed one, into the world to redeem the world. And one of the things the Messiah would do would be to grow, throw a big banquet. And people would come from every nation and gather around this banquet and they would eat the finest of foods until they had, had so much they couldn't eat anymore. This was a, a, an unusual and a great promise for a Palestinian labourer of the day who, who lived by subsistence. And most of the time they were hungry. The only places where they could really eat everything they had eaten until they were satisfied were weddings and these sort of banquets, these expectations they had that one day I'm going to sit down at a table and I'm going to be able to eat as much as I like 
And the wine is going to be of the most beautiful kind. It'll be in the presence of God and of all of the nations. And this is what the abundance of the miracle was pointing towards. There wasn't just enough. There was more than enough. God's generosity, God's abundance overflowing to all of humanity. And, and the placement is important because if you look at the chapter, the immediate story before the, the feeding of the 5,000, it's about a party. It's about a party thrown by King Herod, who was the, the local despot. And, and this is one heck of a party. It's his birthday party. But not everybody gets invited, not like Jesus' party in the next story. The only people who get invited to Herod's party are his, his cronies and his friends. And they sort of sit around and they're trying to work out what it means to have a good time. And, and they drink and, and they have dancing girls. In fact, in the end, just to spice things up, just to make things interesting, they end up bringing the head of a prophet on a platter. And even that is a bit of a downer. And so you've got this rich man throwing this party for his crony friends. And right after that, Mark puts this story about Jesus taking a group of peasants out into the wilderness and feeding them with the bread of life. And they are satisfied. Herod and his friends are never satisfied. But the bread that Jesus brings, it's the bread of life that brings eternal satisfaction. And the freaky thing about this is he is inviting you to join him in his redemptive processes in the world. He's inviting you to be the ones who take the message of the bread of life into your workplaces, into your schools, into universities, wherever you go, into this world. And he's saying, take what you have and I will multiply it. Just have faith and I'll take it and use it. So what's the meaning of this miracle? It could be summed up like this. Jesus is the compassionate king who works through his people to bring the abundant bread of life to a needy world. Jesus is compassionate. He sees the lostness of the people around you. He saw your lostness and he reached out and saved you. And he sees the lostness of those around you and he invites you to join with him in taking his message of good news to those who are lost and needy. And even though you might feel a bit overwhelmed and you might think, I, I don't know what to say, I, I don't have any, any money that I can give, I, I can't provision these people, Jesus said, that's fine. Just take what you have and offer that and leave the rest up to me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life. And we thank you that this miracle demonstrates just what that means. And Lord, we pray that we will share your compassion for this lost world. We thank you that we live with hope and purpose and peace because of your gospel. And Lord, help us to remember that those around us, even though they might put on a good show, don't have those things. The best they have is a, a shallow philosophy that is ultimately unsatisfying. So give us the boldness to, to trust you, to take the little that we have, the, the, the knowledge of the gospel that we have, the, the, the food or the, or the money that, that we have, the little we have, and offer it in your service when we see need, Lord. And give us that 
faith to trust that you can take it and multiply it and feed the hungry through us for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.